0: participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Ricker.
1: Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Voices and Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, President and Founder of Voices and Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts For their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you're in the right place. Now, let's get started. In today's episode, we speak with Doreen Wanzer, the uh, uh, advocacy manager based in in International Papers' Washington, D.C. global government relations office. Dorian is responsible for developing advocacy messaging strategy for federal and state public policy issues, coordinating grassroots communications, and collaborating with key stakeholders to optimize International Paper's reputation. She also oversees uh, International Paper's government relations social media accounts. Now, before joining International Paper, Dorian led grassroots advocacy and outreach for the American Institute of Architects, as well as the National Association of Community Health Centers, which we had on on an earlier show. Dorian, Dorian, thank you and welcome to today's show.
0: Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Well, I'm very excited about this. Thank you so very much. Now let's, let's get started with this. Uh, in doing a little bit of research, I found out a little bit about you uh, on a personal level. So if you don't mind sharing with the audience, what role did your grandfather have in teaching you the value of civic engagement?
0: Well, my grandfather, rest his soul, uh, passed away in January of this year. Um, he was 93 years old, and um, so he's lived a, he lived a very long life. He was born in rural South Carolina and um, during the time of of his birth and and throughout his childhood, uh, he was living through uh, Jim Crow in the Jim Crow era where uh, civic engagement, voting rights, um, basic civil rights were often denied to um, African-Americans, black people. And um, one of the the things that we used to talk about when I was growing up was how you get involved, how you make your voice heard. And so when I was eligible to vote at 18, my grandpa said, never miss a day of voting. It is extremely important for you to use your voice. Do you know you know, what people had to do in order for you to be able to cast your vote? And so always uh, listening to that and always knowing that that was something that was important to him um, made it important to me. And it really influenced uh, how I feel about Civic engagement and the work that I do at International Paper in terms of employee voter education.
1: You know, Dorian, that just reminded me of my own family. Uh, I got involved in politics uh, basically at about 13. And and, uh, uh, I'm six foot eight. So at 13, I was quite large and kind of acceptable and did all the door to door knocking and worked on things. But at 18, 18 and a half, I actually ran for public office and I went to my grandmother. And my grandmother had not voted since FDR. And I went and I went to my grandmother and said, Listen, you know, make sure you we made sure you were registered and make sure you, you know, you voted. What if I lost by one vote, grandma?
0: Exactly. You know,
1: (laughs) who am I going to look to? And uh, she got very involved uh, every year. Both primaries and general elections. I mean, we spent hours going over everybody on the ballot. She wanted to make sure what I knew, what she knew. We had these conversations. It was uh, it was a big warm fuzzy, I will tell you. And it just has uh, reminds me of the of the great bond and connection that the two of us had. So I can respect that bond that you had with your grandfather, and and thank him for instilling that in you. Thank you. So you're, you're a leader uh, in uh, international papers, employee voter education campaign. Yes. What is this program and why is it so important?
0: So as you know, 2020 was a huge historic election year. Um, a lot of things happened, whether we're talking about the uh, use of mail voting, Um, the difference with with COVID and and dealing with the pandemic, but our uh, campaign was entitled 2020 Vote Your Vision. And uh, the campaign is essentially to make sure that our 33,000 US employees have the tools to be able to engage in the civic process. That means that they can visit our um, internal company website, IPvotes, they can register to vote, there they could make a voting plan, they could learn about candidates and they could also find their polling place if they plan to vote in person or find out information about how they could vote by mail, uh, depending on their state and the guidelines with COVID-19. So um, international paper values advocacy, we take it seriously because uh, legislation impacts our ability to be able to compete in today's marketplace. Um, So 2020 Vote Your Vision was, was our 2020 campaign and it changes every presidential election year, but because it's not a major election year. It doesn't mean that we're not still encouraging employees to engage in the civic process, even with the midterms. As long as there is some type of connection between our where, where IP facilities are located and the election that's going on, we're going to reach out to those employees via email, um, sometimes via, we have a, a separate newsletter, let them know um, what to expect and how they can um, take part in that process.
1: Well, you're you're just extending what your grandfather did and what my grandmother did, exactly. uh, and you're just extending that out and making sure that people understand uh, what they can do and how they can do it, and and to do their civic part as being part of of uh, our freedom to be able to uh, to cast our our ballot. You, one of your responsibilities uh, in reading is that you coordinate the grassroots communication with key stakeholders to, you know, defend uh, and and to protect uh, IP or uh, international papers reputation. What does that mean in in your role and how do you do that?
0: So in terms of communications, um, I would say there's kind of three elements. There's the communications that we have with our employees, so letting them know where what government relations is working on, that would be something like our government relations hotline. Um, We also have uh, quarterly town halls. So those are opportunities where employees from across across the company, those who work in facilities and those who are not working in facilities can come together and learn about what we do They can learn about our issue priorities. So those messages have to be very Direct and clear, uh, but they also need to explain enough so that you know. As we kind of done before, we're not talking in government relations or DC speak. Something where everybody can understand what what our priorities are. Um, we also I'm also in charge of of outreach to our associations and and other member organizations, um, and kind of representing IP in the public sphere on social media. So. Um, In terms of our presence there, we try to connect with and echo the statements that we have from our associations like the American Forest and Paper Association or Business Roundtable or the National Association of Manufacturers. Again, it's making sure that not only are we relaying the, you know, have the right, I guess, cross-communication strategy with them, but also taking their messages and making sure that our employees get those as well. And then finally, I would say direct outreach with members of Congress. Um, and, legisl- and state legislators. Um, oftentimes, we have the opportunity at our facilities to host legislators, or at least we did prior to COVID 19. Um, those are great opportunities to, you know, on, on my end, that could mean making talking points, um, you know, coming up with you know, quick, quick points that can be shared in a meeting, something like that. But uh, more importantly, it's how we. How we, I guess, advertise or promote that there was that visit and publicly thank and acknowledge those legislators that have supported us. So, um, so I would say that that that's really the scope of communications. And of course, there's also things like website management and some of our internal uh, websites that I also am in charge of making sure GR content is up to date on.
1: You got a lot of spinning plates on your uh, on your table, <laughs> don't you? Yeah,
0: uh, quite a bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. That must mean that you're doing a great job for them and that they trust the way that you're handling those things. You were, you brought up some some issues uh, in in your comment there. Uh, is it correct that IP is, is supporting the, or in general, supporting the Invest in America Act, which is the, I'm sure everybody that listens to this knows exactly what that is, just to make sure that's kind of, in layman terms, the the hard infrastructure bill, the roads, the bridges, uh, that infrastructure, is that correct? And and,
0: uh... Yes, so infrastructure is key to what we do, especially when it comes to transportation, energy, and of course, investing in rural communities, which is something that IP is very proud that many of our facilities are operated in rural communities. So, um, you know, the Invest in America Act vote is today, and we are just, you know, like our associations, and other uh, companies that are in the supply chain, we're encouraging uh, House to support efforts um, that will make sh- that will invest in transportation and make sure that we continue to invest in rural communities.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that you know. It, I always find it fascinating for me, as I dig in a little bit deeper and talking to different people, that people don't realize. And I think in your case, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, that because of shipping your products you're kind of like you ship more in boxcar in railroads than anybody else is that correct
0: yes we are one of the top boxcar shippers i'm not sure if it's more than anybody else anymore but we are still in in that top tier
1: <laughs> so you're leading you're
0: up at you're, yes.
1: you're you're at the front of the pack on that yes well and 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 quite frankly getting your goods to market Depends on a reliable transportation system.
0: Exactly. I mean, the, the fact is, is you know, as we're one of the the world's leading producers of fiber-based packaging, pulp and paper, the products that we make improve people's lives. They keep people safe, um, and it's just important that we are that these products are able to get to people because they depend on them every day. I mean, if you think about uh, things like diapers, uh, sanitary products, personal hygiene products. Um, know boxes you know this has been I would say maybe 2020 was the year of ordering things online because of the pandemic and when you think everything that came to to your household to your doorstep was in a box and many of those boxes were uh, created at International Paper.
1: Yeah and the products that you provide supply the other businesses that rely on selling their products and goods and services. Exactly. as well. So, what are some of the other, and we don't need to get into details here, but just in kind of a, a big picture 50,000 foot level, uh, what are some of the other areas of issues that are important uh, to IP?
0: Um, well, there are quite a few. So, um, I, as I mentioned, we have infrastructure, recycling would be a big one. Our recycling business is, is a key part of our business. Um, One thing that uh, maybe people who are outside of the forest and forest products industry may not be as familiar with are things like paper and packaging taxes um, or bag bans and fees. uh, Here in Washington, D.C., if you go to the grocery store, you have to pay five cents if you take a bag out of the store. So that's something um, that we watch and that we uh, uh, want to make sure that we're standing against. and that there's legislation that protects us from from that. Um, Another key thing would be energy. Um, I I won't go as much into that, but that is one of our priorities, energy sustainability. And then uh, one thing that is a little bit lumped into infrastructure would be postal reform. Um, International paper supports a a vibrant and healthy postal service because it's obviously key to our business.
1: Yeah, and it kind of reminds me a little bit, I was at an event uh, speaking with someone from Amazon. And it was at a, uh, a, a state legislative conference, national conference. And I'd made a comment to him about they had a huge crew of people there. And I said, Well, why do you have so many people? And why does that matter? And he said, When you get a box shipped from Amazon, there are 10,000 different rules and regulations depending on where you're at, that all vary, that we have to accommodate. And when a truck leaves or a van leaves, they may get through five or six different jurisdictions that have five or six different sets of rules about delivery. And when people stop and think about the complexity of all that, that kind of fits into the same type of thing that you're talking about in a different way, but you're you're dealing with that on, on the raw product side.
0: Exactly, I mean, we serve more than 25,000 customers in 150 countries and Amazon is, is one of them. So, I mean, the fact is, is that yes, it, it, it is, it takes a lot to be able to understand all of the different nuances and different regulations and policies that exist. Um, but it's key to our work because uh, because we have to keep the supply chain running. And, and that's really what, what our goal is, is, is how we, we, we remain competitive. Um, either by you know making sure that we're sourced, sourcing out of rural communities, or having a diverse uh, workforce, a, a 21st century manufacturing, as sometimes it's named, but all of that is it's all part of how we keep the supply chain running.
1: Yeah, and that helps each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we all we all deal with the myriad of products that your company produces. On a daily basis, and it would—it's kind of one of those things that everywhere you turn around, you see—you see something that has been touched by what your organization does. Earlier, you talked about one of your responsibilities being uh, able to communicate with and uh, uh, be a partner with other organizations to achieve the. Now you mentioned what was the American uh, Forest and and American Forest Association and Paper Association. Are there some others that we might recognize along the way, and and are those priorities really key? Uh,
0: yeah. So, I, so as I mentioned earlier, one our association that uh, we are a member of, American Forest and Paper, um, also the National Association of Manufacturers, and then um, Business Roundtable. All of those, you know, our company has a, as a presence within those uh, within those organizations but um, the they're uh, oftentimes they're representing not obviously we're part of it as a member but they're representing the interests across an industry so yeah. typically what whatever their interests and priorities are for the most part we're going to be able to align with some of with, with some of them and a lot of times we like to be able to cross coordinate depending on what's going on. Um, so it's not for every single issue, and sometimes there's different parts of different issues. But um, yes, as you had mentioned earlier with the Invest in America Act, both uh, the National Association of Manufacturers and BRT have, have released statements. There are things like that that you know that we've cross-communicated with in terms of, 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 of where we stand on social media and things like that.
1: Yeah, and it reminds me of uh, I, I've created the seven branches of the advocacy tree. And, you know, and one of them is, is is government affairs and then media and people and everything. But one of those is industry. So as an industry coming together and saying, hey, what are the issues that affect us, affect all of us across the board for our industry? And that's kind of where associations step in and, uh, and contribute to that. Uh, are you ever in a position or... Uh, and I don't know that this is the right question, but I'm going to kind of throw that out there. Uh, where you try to grow your stakeholders and advocates?
0: Yeah, so I think that, uh, I mean, as, as an employee at, at International Paper, you're going to automatically receive um, our government relations newsletter, our, our bi-monthly newsletter, the GR Hotline. Um, but what I have done in the past year, or at least in in, kind of in 2021, I should say, um, to to do what you're describing is actually doing a little bit of more targeted re- targeted outreach to new employees. So those who have started at international paper within like the, the last three months, um, basically they uh, those employees would receive a message. Um, just introducing, you know, basically introducing inter- international paper where you can find information, links to our blog, links to our internal website, um, links to our social media, um, and then an invite to a webinar where uh, I'm basically hosting a a GR101 and that way it goes through our staff, our our federal team, our state team, the issues that we're focused on um, in, in this cycle with Congress, and then of course just Again, more more resources that they can use to stay in touch with um, with government relations and to get involved um, on our website IP votes. So, um, so that's something that I would say is is as a recruitment tactic to get. I think just to, to educate and engage more people at the beginning of of their time at International Paper, um, so that you know sometimes you get into a job and you're so focused on on that job. And then you get an invite to government relations town hall, and you're like, "Wait a minute! I, you know, I wasn't even government relations team, you know." But if you if you know that all of that's coming, I feel like you might be more likely to get engaged.
1: Yeah, I I think that's that's a great point. Getting people early on to understand what that process is, I think, is 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 very very important. I often talk about, you know, we must first inspire people then educate them, then engage them, and then activate them in the process. And so it's not a one step. You can't run to the end and say, hey, do something without them kind of walking through those different steps on the ladder to get, to, to, to get there. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of advocacy?
0: When I think about advocacy, I think about collect- a collective group coming together to take action. I just, I, I feel like whatever the issue is, um, whether it's something like transportation infrastructure or whether it's something like affordable housing, you know, that's not an issue that wouldn't be related to IP. I feel like as long as there is a group of passionate people um, willing to educate others and kind of spread the word, then advocacy is taking place and then it it is able to to continue to take place with with other influencers, other stakeholders, other members of Congress. Um, so I just think about a, a collective interest in action.
1: Yeah. That's a, that, that's a great explanation of, of using the collective voice to come together and, and to express your concerns uh, for a given issue or anything else. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a different direction here, and and I want your opinion uh, on this. Uh, How can organizations and their advocates move legislation forward as we sit in this more polarized and kind of divided Congress and country at this time?
0: I think the key thing is to just maintain relationships um, and to make sure that you're you're nurturing existing relationships um, and try to forge new ones. Um, I know that it, it has been a challenging year, um, and it, there have been some trying times in terms of, of, of what's transpired. But I also believe that you know, we, when whenever there are incidents, um, I, tragedies, if you will, you also have to know, I guess, have the mentality that there still is opportunity for a positive outcome. There, um, there's still light at the end of the tunnel, and I think that that is the approach that has to be taken um, in terms of continuing to forge relationships with not only members of Congress, but state legislators. Um, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, people don't realize that, you know, pe- pe- people remember, I mean, the, the, those, sometimes the most basic or, or a, a very simple interaction that is had uh, is something that's the most memorable. And if you have an experience like that um, and you're able to kind of go back to that. I, I think you can always bring people back to your issue and what it is you're focused on, without having to uh, kind of focus on all of the peripheral issues that that may be in the air. And so I, I think it's just key to to nurture those relationships. would be Would be my opinion on that.
1: And, and you know, you, you you made me think of something as you were answering that. I think we put an awful lot of influence an influence and and emphasis on Washington, DC. But there are only 537 people in Washington with the federal government that are elected. The 435 from the House, the 100 from the Senate, the President and Vice President. But we have over 300,000 other people in this country that are elected to governing positions. And we tend to forget that those are the people that you go to church with, those are the people that you run into at the grocery store. Uh, you know, going to a sporting event, going to a concert—any of those things—they're uh, your friends and your neighbors. And and I think that if we get back to those basics, I think that can help us an awful lot. Begin that process.
0: Absolutely, and I, I would agree with you. And I would also say that our our state uh, team at International Paper does an excellent job of of Maintaining and forging relationships with with legislators on the state and local level, and I and so that is just as it, um, as important as the as the relationships uh, that we have with with members of the federal government.
1: Uh, I, I agree. Well, time flies, particularly when you have a great guest. Uh, Dorian, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to add?
0: Um, I would just like to say thank you so much for having me. I am very passionate about advocacy, and I, I like the idea of this podcast. And I hope that uh, for anybody who is listening or watching, if you have an interest in the advocacy profession, that you pursue it and feel free to reach out to me uh, with questions.
1: Wonderful. And I'm glad that you are here with us today. Is there, is there any way that people can learn more about uh, international paper? Where would they go?
0: Sure. Um, International Paper is uh, pretty active on Twitter. If you follow, um, it's I-N-T-L Paper Co. Um, So that is our handle. Uh, If you just search International Paper, though, it should pop up. And then, of course, International Paper is also on Facebook.
1: Wonderful. Well, listen, that wraps up today's great conversation with Lorian Wanzer, Association Advocacy Manager for International Paper, Thank you, Dorian, uh, for being on the show today.
0: Thank you.
1: And now it's time for the advocacy engagement tip. This week, we begin a series on coalitions, today about forming coalitions. Forming a coalition with diverse stakeholders and organizations to promote public policy activity on priority issues is one of the most effective ways to expand your outreach and influence. Together, the coalition can work on activities such as community and government education and organize issue forums, all of which allows you to gain more constituencies and gain additional visibility. Each week, we will share a few pointers about coalitions. Do you have a policy or process in place when considering coalitions? are proud to have Rap Index as a sponsor to the show. Let's face it, today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The Rap Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com, that's R-A-P-Index.com, and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast today. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and unwavering passion for advocacy. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, VoicesinAdvocacy.com.